welcome to the Power of Sports podcast, where the jocks meet the geeks. Or wait, where the geeks meet the jocks. Yeah, that's it. On today's show, we speak with J.R. Henderson, a professional basketball player who has thrived in his adopted homeland of Japan. J.R. first gained fame in his native Bakersfield, California, and at UCLA, where he helped the Bruins win the 1995 NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. Upon graduation, J.R. was drafted into the NBA, where he played for the Vancouver Grizzlies. But after the 1999-2000 season was cut short due to conflict between NBA owners and players over contract negotiations, JR found himself traveling to Japan to continue his career. It was there that he found a home away from home, and JR played a pivotal role on several championship teams and even became a naturalized Japanese citizen. JR played for one Japanese professional team for 19 years and scored nearly 11,000 points and played over 700 games. So listen in to JR tell us about his journey from Bakersfield to UCLA to Japan, about his experiences playing under the nickname of Mr. Seahorses and changing his official name from JR Henderson to JR Sakuragi, about his views of the two professional leagues that existed in Japan up until 2014, and about the FIBA sanctions that were placed on Japan, which helped usher in a new age of basketball in the land of the rising sun. Thank you so much for taking time. How are you doing? Doing great. And I'm really sorry we haven't met earlier and talked earlier because I was living in Japan many years ago. If I had a way to connect with you, I would have really benefited from learning from you back then. But, but here we are. Yeah. Here we are. So, here we are, man. Yeah. And so where are you exactly? Are you in, in the Tokyo area or where are you living now? Right now I'm living in Aichi, but going to be moving soon. Uh-huh. Yeah, and right now you're an advisor yet. for the the WJBL team there, I think. Yeah, but I recently changed the position to B2 Koshigaya. I see. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's much better working with some familiar faces and a great group of guys here. So it's, it's nice. Yes. Now, I have to give you a lot of credit, actually, because I attended uh, UCLA right after you left, actually. But No way. The, yeah. But the, the teams that you were on, of course, were very inspiring to me as a high school player. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't much of a player. Nothing like you. Nothing like state champions <laughs> from East High School in Bakersfield like you were. Right, but, right. but your team, of course, won the national championship. And so when it came time to, for mm -hmm. me to pick a school, I was thinking mm -hmm. a lot about the big-time sports programs that existed. If you hadn't won that championship, I, I might have picked a different college. So I have to say thank you for that. <laughs> But what was it like growing up playing basketball and then choosing UCLA? Was there a particular coach growing up that was inspiring to you or a, a teacher or a different kind of mentor of some kind? As you know, Lorenzo Romar was there and he came down to my hometown, Bakersfield, and really connected with him right away. It made me feel comfortable. You know, that's always important when you're leaving home and going to a new environment, big sure. schools. That had the, I would say that had the most influence on my decision to go to UCLA. I see. And what about earlier than that, though, JR, when you were growing up playing basketball as a kid? And when did you start playing basketball? 
as a kid, there's no bigger influence than my father. He played, of course, at East Bakersfield High School and then at West Texas State with Maurice Cheeks way back in the day. But yeah, he started us at five years old, just teaching us fundamentals, stuff he knew we wasn't able to do yet, wasn't strong enough to do. But I was the only one that stuck with it out of my other two brothers. They just wanted to reach the basket at all costs. And I, I, I wanted to do it correctly. So uh, uh, that was the difference. It certainly paid off, didn't it? That attention yes, to sir. detail that you had. And what was it like playing growing up in Bakersfield? Who were you playing with? When did you play? Did you play other sports? Yeah, Bakersfield was really much all about sports because there was nothing mm -hmm. else to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I, I tried baseball, quickly knew that wasn't for me. I got my only hit of the season at the last game. I quickly moved on to football, tried football. I was pretty good at it. Went up to junior high school, was quarterback and tight end and things like that. But my dad shut it down at, at high school. Yeah, he shut that down. He said, we're not getting hit in the kneecaps and, and things like that and it being over with. I see. He was worried about injury. Yeah, yeah, he saw something in the future, I guess, and at that time, and he wanted to try to protect it. And were you you must have already been a standout player in basketball then at that point. And I guess he, yeah. he had played at a high level himself, so he knew you had the promise. We had just come from a junior high school state championship as well in Bakersfield. I won that, and I had a growth spurt from seventh, I think seventh acre or sixth to seventh, one of the two, I had a real big growth spurt and I was like six four uh -huh. six five going into high school so he was like you might want to cut the contact out and just focus on this here it looks like you have a chance to do something I see and what do you think of that decision looking back on it now uh, very appreciative uh -huh. my parents have always had my best interest in mind sacrificed a lot to get me down in LA where the you know, more, more competition is, uh, tougher competition, playing against guys that are older than me. It really helped me out a lot to grow as a player. Yes. And then at UCLA, what was it like playing there? Man, it was different when I first got mm -hmm. there, for sure. Uh, it wasn't what I was used to, the L.A. scene and the L.A. kind of attitude. It, it mm -hmm. took some while to get used to it, if I'm honest. But sure. Once the basketball started rolling around and you see the fans coming in and you see how much they love basketball, we got Captain Alphamias, our leader, Ed O'Bannon, really just showing me the rules. Just, I settled in quickly after that. That's right. Ed O'Bannon would have been, I think, a senior or maybe a junior when you were a freshman. Yeah, is that right? He was a senior when I came in. And so he Probably took you the under his wing? Yeah, best thing that could happen to me coming in. It was just a luxury as a, be a freshman and when he was a senior there. And, he had been through everything. He had been through the injuries and almost making it to the finals previously and mm -hmm. his ups and downs. And he had learned a lot already. Mm -hmm. So we got to benefit from those mistakes in, in the past. And, and it was just a wonderful time. I see. That's really interesting. And, and it actually leads me to my next question because I wanted to ask you about Ed O'Bannon. Obviously, his work to bring attention to the issue of names, images, and likenesses in college yeah. sports was really trailblazing. For sure. And, and so I'm, I wonder what your thoughts are on Ed O'Bannon now. Oh, you gotta take tip your hat off to him. He's worked real hard and stuck with it. Didn't give up when it seems like the odds were against him fighting that big battle, but he really stuck with it and he was passionate about it, which is Ed O'Bannon. You know, mm -hmm. he, his passion fuels as he get it in his mind, he wants to do something, he gets it done. So you're not surprised at all that he, he has one of the leaders in this battle with the NCAA? Not at all. I couldn't imagine anyone else in that position, actually, as far as in that time, in that era coming up. His passion and his determination is unmatched. Yes. You know, and everyone knew that. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. Thank you for sharing that with me. 
And I, I feel like I could probably ask you more about uh, those issues of college basketball in the United States, but I, I find your story of going to Japan equally fascinating. So maybe we can oh. focus there. I mean, a, yeah. a little selfishly too, because I, of course, I lived in Japan for a long time and I'm writing about Japanese basketball. So I, I would uh, love to, to hear your thoughts more on that if we can focus sure. that way. But what was it like? How did you get to Japan initially? I, I know you were drafted into the NBA, but then what was the yeah. path that you took after that to, to, to get to Japan? It was actually strange. I was actually re recruited to come here. I had no mm -hmm. idea that Japanese basketball existed. Honestly, I was contacted by an agent that I had never met in my life and asking me, do I want to come to Japan? Of course, I said, no. They play baseball and sumo wrestling there. I'm a basketball player. But then NBA didn't work out. I was promised certain things and I fulfilled those certain things and it just didn't come through. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't want to go back to France where I came from because I don't like practicing twice a day. That's just, that's just not for me. So I said, hey, is, is the job still open? And the coach here went to my school, UCLA, and asked about it. Right then and there, I was like, he goes in all the way to California from Japan and inquire about me at school. I think this is a coach that I could probably connect with. Here. Hmm. The seriousness. Yeah. Was it the seriousness? Yeah. yeah, just he's serious. He's serious about who he brings in. And I read a particular, knew what he wanted. And, and he still offered me to come here. So that meant a lot to me. I see. How interesting. Having lived in Japan a long time myself, that seriousness in people's work is a hallmark of Japan, mm -hmm. isn't it? And leaves an impression, doesn't it? Just like it did for you. So you end yeah. up taking this contract to, to go play professionally in Japan and, and you arrive to mm -hmm. Japan. And what do you think? One word, different. It's nothing resembles like where I've come from. Just everything's different. Driving on the other side of the road. The food, of course. Customs right away. You hit with a bunch of customs right off the plane. It's totally different. You know, but for some reason, I was kind of, I was able to embrace the differences. I don't know why, but mm -hmm. I, I felt relaxed. I wouldn't say immediately. It didn't take long to mm -hmm. me to just settle down. It's very interesting you say that because you had also mentioned earlier that going to LA was a, a big transition for you yeah. from Bakersfield, but you didn't quite feel as much of a shock going to Japan. No, I just think the reception you get when you come here, it's just, it's just different. Mm -hmm. it's extremely kind and nice, and you could tell it's genuine. It's not fake. It's very genuine how they greet you and you come off the plane and their hospitality is there you don't have any wants or worries or you just relax and mm -hmm. make sure you relax and comfortable and i was like i could get used to this <laughs> that's great yeah, yeah, I, yeah i absolutely can understand that and so what was it like playing in japan honestly when i first got here it was quite easy for me if i'm mm -hmm. honest i'm coming from the nba any step down from there is going to feel easy Sure. Most guys here already weren't NBA guys. Only when Charles O'Bannon came a little bit later, mm -hmm. it felt like there were more guys from the league coming in. But when I first got here, it wasn't the case. So I was just flowing through the league at that time. I see. And what was it like living there? Did you settle in pretty well? I know you mentioned you, the hospitality was great. You're playing professional basketball, and I don't believe you at that time spoke any Japanese. So was that a struggle no. or did people help you? Yeah, we had a translator and they just pretty much catered to our every need. And like I said before, they made sure we were comfortable. So we didn't really have that communication gap to where we was like frustrated trying to get things that we absolutely needed. It was all taken care of at that time. We were comfortable. And, and I understand you played professionally in Japan until age 43, is that Oh, uh, yes, yes, I stopped That's, at 43. That is very impressive. And I also understand that there was a form of uh, play that your opponents would use because they couldn't quite guard you. 
and so they would do a hack of JR. Uh, I read about this <laughs> and uh, kind of yeah. a physical style of play. So the fact that you played yeah. that long, given that physical style of play, is, is right. that much more impressive. Yeah. So what would yeah. you say your secrets have been to keeping in good shape and staying healthy with that kind of defensive strategy facing you every night? Uh, yeah, a lot of research from my wife. She really helped me out as far as taking care of what I need before I got home, as far as meals. I'd done the training side, looked up certain things to you know, make sure the knees are intact and strengthen where they're supposed to be strengthened. And it's just a lot of research. We have a lot of time over here to do that. We just use our time wisely. And I also understand that in 2007, I believe you became a Japanese citizen and, yes. uh, and you changed your name to Sakuragi. And uh, yeah. I'm curious why you chose to do that. Like I said, when I first got here, connection with my coach was, was there and that kind of just loyal to each other. After our first couple championships together, back to back and we just without saying anything, we like, let's try to do this for as long as we can. Mm -hmm. Let's try to keep winning because it, it was enjoyable for both of us. That's just how it grew from there. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the championships in Japan. So if I'm to understand this correctly, you've been a champion at the junior high school, college and professional level. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> Almost every level. Even in elementary school, my traveling team won a championship. <laughs> oh, JR, I'm sorry. I didn't know about yeah, that one. <laughs> it's not important. It's like when I look back, I was like, man, I won at every level. It seems, I don't know. Well, I just had good teammates around me. But what about basketball in Japan today? What, what are your thoughts on it? I know you're, I think, a year or two removed from playing, mm -hmm. and now you're working as a, a coach and advisor. Like I said before, when I first got here, it was like easy to breeze through it but now you can't really say that talent level hasn't the basketball as a whole is has increased the skill level of the, of the locals has increased they're watching more basketball they're trying to emulate the players on the court and the nba and it's starting to show out here a lot when i first got here they used to be a little fearful of the imports not really challenge them those days are gone they really get after it so it's a tough league and the talent of the of imports has really gone up so there's like almost NBA player or ex-NBA player on each team. I see. Yeah. Was there a moment that you can think back on, Jared, that Japanese pro basketball began to change and, as you say, became more competitive? Or is it more of a gradual process? I think with the national team, when they kept losing, it was like, we need to, and the women's team actually was doing well. That's when they was like, man, we have to do something to increase the level and, uh, of, of the Japanese basketball on the men's side. Yes. Uh, so they really started thinking about it and doing things to change that, changing the format of how many imports are allowed on the court and things like that, and to try to get the locals more time on the court and more experience. They just started doing extra things that, you know, I think it was because the women's team was doing so well and the men's team was not even a thought. <laughs> how how fascinating. And so was that around the time that that FIBA, the international body, sanctioned Japanese basketball? Is that exactly. around the same time? Exactly. I think that was 2014, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly the time they started to put it in high gear and started changing things around here. <laughs> I see. And so you were there, you were seeing it all. You were in the middle of your career at that time. What did you make of those sanctions? Uh, I think it was necessary. They weren't taking it seriously. I don't believe in you know, when the sanctions come or the trouble comes, people tend to do what's right. I think they knew that they were supposed to combine the leagues and do it. I think they were just being a little lazy. Mm -hmm. So I think it was very necessary to get things moving in the right direction. 
And then I know this particular limitation has changed over the years, but there's always that question that arises as far as how many foreign players should be allowed on a team and then on the court in Japan in the pro leagues. Right. And so I wonder what you make about those limitations. And I know you've played in Japan for a long time, so how have those mm -hmm. limitations changed over your career? And what have you made of those limitations? They tried it twice to have just one import on the court and then they changed it back and then they went back again it doesn't change their size the size is what's the problem on the international level they're just small you know mm -hmm. small is small and uh unless you're growing <laughs> bigger players i mean it's not going to change much so mm -hmm. as far as entertainment value for the league i think it's better if you have two imports instead mm -hmm. of one mm -hmm. because it's just more exciting plays and it, it just livens up the game a lot, a lot more I thought it was, you know, weird that they had two professional leagues here. They had the BJ League and then our league. Is, then our league was changing names almost every few, three years. We have a different name for our league. I was like, man, yes. you guys are really confused out here. When they finally combined it and got one league, I was like, man, fine. took you this long? You know, but, yeah. That's funny. That actually leads me to my next question, Jar, about the, the team names. I don't know if you get a kick out of these names as much as I do, but you played for the Seahorses. And I know there's also pro teams in the Japan's B-League, the, the professional league, which is called the B-League, called the Dragonflies, the Dolphins, and I think even a team called the Akita Northern Happy Nets. So what do you think about these names of Japan professional basketball? Man, I used to, I can put you, you bring that up because my guys from home, people back at home asking, okay, yeah, what's the name of the team we want to follow you? I never want to say the name of my team. So where does with the seahorses it was like come on now. i still don't know like what some of the teams even mean soccer at this i don't know i don't know what that is i don't either so what do you think the most common coaching style is in japan and what do you think about it that's tough to comment on because <laughs> okay. the, the coaching style is really not a style in my opinion it's just uh, a name Mm -hmm. It's in a suit. It's not really, I don't see any strategy or preparation or adjustments in game. When they play against foreign coaches, you can really, it really shows. So the Japanese style is much different than the imports as far as X's and O's and in game adjustments, especially after the half and going into the third quarter. It's, it's really obvious that they're not able to think at that moment. Normally the adjustments are made the next week or the next time you see them. Mm hmm Oh, how interesting. Uh, so, it's, yeah, it's not really like a style per se. This, this one, this guy's the coach. And he's, yeah, it's hard to explain in my experience, but I can't pinpoint a certain style because they just go out there and play, get the ball to the best player or something like that. I see. And tell me about a coach that you've played for that you've really admired. I've only had one coach in Japan. Is that right? You had the same coach yeah. the entire time you were there? I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. 19 years, same team, same coach, so... I knew you played for the same team, but I just assumed that no coach would coach professionally for that long. Oh, yeah. He's in a pretty much class of his own. He's He was there, let's say, five, six years before I got there. I see. So, so he's been there a while. <laughs> tell, tell me about him. Yeah, he's a player's coach, no doubt about it. He mm -hmm. really caters to the players and values their opinions and gives them rest when they need it and just asks that you perform in a game kind of thing. He's treated as a pro. You get yourself in shape when it's not enough in practice. It's not like just run and work without no kind of purpose. So I enjoyed that part of it.
you mm-hmm. know, I produced the results in that in that sort of style. So I, mm-hmm. it, it was really good. Mm-hmm. And was that the kind of coach that you appreciated over here in the States when you played here as well? Oh, for sure. For sure. It's like in that regard, it's like the best coach I've had. Since they just let me be me. You play mm-hmm. my style and my personality. It wasn't a factor into, you know, the game results and playing basketball. So mm-hmm. I warmed up to that really quickly because I've always been judged by facial expressions and how fast I warm up and things that really didn't matter. In the end, I had the numbers and we won. What does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Sure. So he, he was the first one to do that. And then what about basketball teams and players from other countries in Asia that you've been able to either observe or maybe play against? But I'm thinking particularly about Korea and China. Have you had much experience playing against Koreans and and Chinese? And and if so, how have those players compared to your experience playing against Japanese players? Oh, yeah. Actually, we used to, in the preseason, we used to play against a Korean team every every year. They used to come over one or two uh, games per year was really the norm for us from the KBL. One thing that really stuck out is they're really aggressive. They move a lot without the ball, just really aggressive on defense and like even their movements on offense at all. Every cut is like <laughs> their fastest, strongest cut. There's no relaxing. They come in even before the game starts, they taped all up and bandaged, banged up and stuff, but they're still playing. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And so was it a physical style of play as well? A little bit Absolutely. more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Every game was almost a fight. Really? And you, every, and, every game. And I read that you had this, I think I mentioned this the first time we talked, but there was this hack jr type defense that was played on you mm-hmm. at times in the Japan. Mm-hmm. Was it a similar style that they tried to use on you when you played against these Korean teams? Actually, it wasn't towards the imports. It was towards the locals. You oh, know? interesting. It was like we were protecting our locals a lot, you uh-huh. know, because... They wouldn't say anything and they wouldn't hit back or anything and they would just take it. That's where we're from. We don't just sit there and take anything. But when we saw that, it was like, hey, man, stop hitting my player. And it kind of like escalates from there. Uh, I see. Because they don't back down from anyone. So the coach is out on the floor and the managers, everyone is like ready to rumble. They're almost like kind of egg it on, encouraging type thing. Yeah. Did did this ever actually come to a point where there was an actual fight or it was just on the brink? One time they cleared the bench on us. That was the time I was speaking of where even the coach was out there. I think he actually swung one time, one of our imports. Wow. From then on, from that brawl per se, the game started to become less and less frequent until we just stopped playing them as altogether. Is that right? What year was that that you stopped playing those? I want to say it was around 2000. 10 mm-hmm. where it was just like we didn't come because even even the imports on that team was like <laughs> it's like they recruited that type of of import player too you know what we call at home ghetto players it was okay. just like just from the roughest parts of the neighborhood type guys on their team and even before the game no smiles no shaking hands it's like come on we're from the same area like don't let them influence you like that. It's almost like they told them, don't be friends. We're here to mm-hmm. fight type thing. How interesting. And you say these were preseason games. Oh, yeah. Preseason. So there wasn't any official meaning to the game, per se. There weren't any championship no, implications no. or anything like that. That's what I didn't understand, man. We're not here. What's on the line here? We're just playing. Like, what's mm. up with the chips on everyone? There's nothing on the line. You don't get a bonus for this or a trophy or 
Nothing. Well, that begs the question. Maybe they were getting bonuses on their end, <laughs> JR. Well, shoot, go ahead. You can have the win. <laughs> we didn't get a dime for that game. And did you ever go over there? Were you invited to Korea as well? Or was this just no, a never, one-way thing? Never went there. They only came that to you. Just, yeah, that was strange to me. Like, they only came to our place. That was it. Interesting. And what about China? Did you ever have any experiences playing over in China? Or did they, the Chinese no. send any teams over to Japan? No? No, never. Never. Uh-huh. never. Closest thing we got is we went to Taiwan and played a little tournament after the season one time, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And that one, that tournament went all right? Wasn't much aggression in that one? No, no. It wasn't much aggression at all, actually. It was just way, it was just like, no one wanted to be there. It was after the season. We didn't want to play so it was just like, you know. That, yeah, that's a bad time for any tournament, right? After the season, right. you want to be on vacation. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to be there. So this question, now that you're moving into your next career after being a player, mm-hmm. I wonder, and I, and I know that you definitely have the ear of any Japanese basketball leader, but I'm curious as somebody who's writing about Japanese basketball, what do you think mm-hmm. Japan should do if it wants to improve its play internationally? I know you already mentioned that height is a factor, but mm-hmm. is there a particular country who has a basketball team that you think could be used as a model for Japan's national team? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's an Asian country, maybe it's a European country. You know, what thoughts do you have on improving Japanese play internationally? Well, as a model, and from my experience, I've always thought that Iran was uh, really successful every time we went out there. And they, mm-hmm. they had a particular style of, even if they weren't the most talented, they weren't always the strongest or most athletic. Mm-hmm. But they always played physical and they always played like really together and kind of supported each other on defense. It was like a lot of pride in, in their show. So I would think that would be the model for Japan. It's just kind of even on the in the hotels, they, every last one of them was in the weight room. When I went down there, it was they were all down there, like pumping up for the game, like getting strong and ma- maintaining their bodies, that kind of mentality, because they knew they needed that that toughness. And Japan was there hmm. stretching and doing these kind of strange routines that really had nothing to do with the game. It's almost like it made him softer instead of <laughs> stronger. Okay. Yeah, like stretch bands and just all kind of stuff. I'm like, man, if you don't go pick up some weights, bench press is over here. If you want to get ready. How Swats, interesting. Let's hear some weights clang or something. <laughs> that is quite interesting. I wasn't expecting that answer. And what do you think Japan's ultimate goal should be in basketball? You've been there many years now. You surely have seen that basketball is a part of school sports in Japan, and it's used to educate children. And obviously, there's a desire to win gold medals and also to professionalize the game and make it more of an entertainment product. But among those three options, or maybe others that you have in mind, what do you think the ultimate goal should be for basketball in Japan? I like the professionalized one because if you draw more attention to it, that means they'll start at a younger age taking it more seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the problems when they start young and they, what they're teaching them is not really going to translate into international success. It's mm-hmm. not going to it's not going to cut it. You have to train and prepare skill-wise. It's basically like American standard type stuff, a little bit more tougher, a bit more aggressive as far as drill work and even just playing Mm one-on-one, that'll help you tremendously. Just get a little fight in you and then have that transfer on up. And in order to do that, 
you're going to start taking a liking to it very early and take it serious. I would like to see it on a more national level as far as advertising and just making it big, putting the commercials, things like that. So you think a good amount of investment now to build up the game and its, yes. its professionalization would, would go a long way to improving the, the talent for 10, 20 years down the road? Yes, yes. they got to have that love for it early. That's where it all starts for all the players that's in the NBA right now. They started with a love with it, mostly. Yes. So take it seriously. It was like basketball. You hear ball is life. It's for real. You know, mm-hmm. Basketball was life for a lot of them. And here it's not that way. Baseball is, is life. <laughs> yes, baseball is life in Japan. That's right. And um, and I suspect that's probably part of the story too, isn't it? That baseball has, yeah. takes all these great young Japanese athletes and exactly. sort of sinks the teeth into them, doesn't it? Yeah, you got strong, nice-looking athletes on that baseball field. And it's, man, you would love to have those <laughs> yes, on yes. the basketball court. Yeah. Yes, and it's not common, is it, for Japanese youngsters to play multiple sports? Like like no. we often do in the states, because they they really commit to it, practice it almost every day. So yes, no no time for a second sport. And so Jr., the next question may be a little um, a little unfair of me to ask because I'm asking to put yourself in the shoes of Japanese people here. But feel mm-hmm. free not to answer if you don't think you can. But how do you think mm-hmm. Japanese people view their bodies when they play basketball? You've been there so long. I just wondered mm-hmm. if you have an opinion about that because. Obviously, that the height issue is something that in basketball means a lot, right? The rim is 10 feet tall wherever you go. And so mm-hmm. if you're taller, you can access the rim more quickly than anybody who's shorter. Mm-hmm. So just curious yeah. what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think I've only seen like a couple players who didn't back down from foreigners. As far as when you see that size and you just cower down, I've only seen a couple. They were like, Man, I don't care who you are how tall you are i'm going to get it it's, it's too rare i would like to see all of them like that because imports have been here for a long time they should be used to it by now mm-hmm. what do you think it is care. what do you think it is jared that prevents more players from having that mentality oh man i wish i knew it's almost like they come up from a young age thinking like americans are superior in that regard physically and they just bow down to us they've already lost in their minds so they mm. just kind of act that way i see Oh, how interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. Do you think there's anything that could be done? Man, you could talk to your blue in the face, really, but it's either they got it or they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think they're going to change. They'll probably give you like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm body lost type of okay. thing in the back of their mind. Man. There's no way I could defeat this guy or challenge this guy. So, How interesting. Yeah. And would you mind telling me who the players are who didn't back down that you were impressed by? A couple I had in mind was when I first got here was Karamuda. Karamuda mm-hmm. from, he plays at Mikawa now, but mm-hmm. he's played at, started OSG, then I went to Tochigi, Nagoya, Yokohama. He's been in a lot of teams, but he's just never been afraid. I've always been a fan of his because of that. Like, mm-hmm. he's attacking anyone, mm-hmm. and that's what made him so difficult to stop because we tried to put a you know, American on him, and it was like, okay, we'll take care of him. And it was like, he turned on us. It was like, he was getting our American in foul trouble. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, this guy is he's tough-minded. tough uh-huh. minded. He kind of got a little chip on his shoulder. Right? Yes. I think he maybe he had some trouble coming up. I don't think he went to college. You know, I don't know his whole story, but there's a chip there for sure. And the other one, it was like uh, Uto. He plays at Toyama now. Mm-hmm. 
uh, point guard. He's got that tough mind as well. Mm-hmm. They have the same personality almost. So they have these labels as trouble guys, but those trouble guys are the ones that give you results. You know, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the court. Same talk in the states. You got guys that come from tough areas that. They're the, they're the toughest guys in the league. Case in point, the best player is probably LeBron, and he came up, he had a rough upcoming. So he got that big chip on his shoulder. So just fuels it, the passion and will to win, mm-hmm. will to defeat your opponent, overcome anything. Is that part of the story then too, JR, that maybe some of these Japanese players are not coming up in an environment where they have that rough upbringing, mm-hmm. so they're not getting that sort of fire in the belly? I'm going to say so, man. It's kind of they come up in a happy environment. They're really community-based and never like a real struggle struggle because mm-hmm. you always got the support system around. So like they were brought up on a nice soft pillow. They got the gatherings, the onsens, the, you know, the chinko, whatever they do. I don't know what they do, but they're always just like in community and together and having a great time and smiling and drinking or whatever. I don't know what they do, but... It seems like they're always smiling. Yes, I, th- I think that may be a reflection of you too, Jr. You're always smiling, and I think they're probably smiling yeah. back at you because you're smiling. <laughs> so I'll leave you with this last question, Jr. Because I, I don't want to yeah. keep you. I, I just really appreciate you spending some time with me to help me learn about you know your experiences in in mm-hmm. Japan and in basketball throughout your life. But I wonder this podcast I do. I call it the Power of Sports and. I'm always interested in talking to people who are involved in sports in some kind of deep way, which obviously you are, what mm-hmm. the power of sports means to them. So what does the power of sports mean to you, Jared? Uh Well, power of sports means really to me is, is life because sports is what got me to this point. Without sports, I'm another statistic. And to be honest, you don't make it out of where I come from without sports. So the power of sports can bring you a lot of opportunities in life and give you opportunities you wouldn't have had uh, otherwise i would just say the sports is life you know mm-hmm. life giving thank you so much jr i really appreciate you sharing that with me and i i can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and doing this interview i'm very grateful i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go and hope that we can okay. talk again down the road i really enjoyed getting to know you all right thanks Aaron. i appreciate okay. it okay all right thank you Jeff. bye-bye up for today. I hope you enjoyed our virtual journey overseas to hear J.R. Henderson, now J.R. Sakuragi, talk about what must be one of the longest basketball careers for an American playing in a foreign land. It was a pleasure to get the perspective of another professional athlete, not only about what it takes to succeed and the power of sports, but how dedication can be expressed in many ways. If you have a great show idea or a guest you think would be perfect for this show, please do not hesitate to get in touch. I always love learning from my listeners and hearing from you. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Until next time, please remember that the power of sports is and always will be within you.